takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show. Howdy folks, welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. On this episode, I have Claire Friday. I met Claire uh, at the LA Opera backstage. She uh, worked there for a couple of years and uh, kind of lost touch with her. I always liked Claire. She was always really professional, very nice. And then uh, she kind of reached out recently out of the blue and uh, expressed interest in being on my show, which I thought was awesome. And uh, turns out that she has had uh, quite a career doing all sorts of other things. And, and most recently, I think she's still doing it, at least as of last week, she's still doing it. Um, she has been uh, working for a PR firm that's been hired by Facebook to do Facebook Live uh, broadcasts for the uh, debate season and the presidential election season, I guess you'd call it. Uh, she was at the RNC, the DNC, the, the first presidential debate. I think the vice presidential debate and maybe even last night. I'm not sure. I've got a, I think I better check on Facebook and see if she was there last night. But uh, anyway, she's really fascinating. She's got some interesting uh, insights into our political process and the way that uh, people come across on social media versus what they're like in real life. And on and on, I really liked our conversation. And before I get going here, I'd like to thank Michael Nielsen over at Ninja Tracks for letting me use his awesome Shure M7B microphone. I love it. Uh, why don't you go to michaelnielsenmusic.com? Tell him I said hi. He's a great guy. Um, I also want to thank Gregory Geiger for helping me with my theme song. He's at laclassical.com. Still loving it, buddy. Um, also, I think I'm going to start something new this week, too. Maybe... Uh, I'm thinking about doing something like uh, the week, a week in the life of Omar Crook or something like what happened this week. Like, for instance, I cut my own hair this week. Uh, and it's something that I do. You know, I, I of course, I've been to a barbershop or a, a stylist or I, I don't know if I've been to a stylist, but, you know, I've been to salons, I guess. And um, I'm never really super happy with the way they cut my hair. So. For the last few years, more often than not, I cut my own hair. I don't think people know that. And uh, I do it with scissors and my hands. And I do it out in the backyard. I take my shirt off and uh, end up with a big pile of hair. And generally, it comes out really well. As a matter of fact, whenever I do it, I tend to get some, you know, people notice and say how nice my haircut is. And I always love telling them that I do it myself. I don't know. Is that weird? Maybe it's weird. It's probably weird. I don't know. How many of you cut your own hair? I don't think, probably not many. But, I, you know, I have curly hair, so I guess it's easier. Also, I've been talking a lot this week about, um, I think, you know, when I started this podcast, I had a really clear idea about how I wanted it to go and uh, how much of my own personality I wanted to put into the interviews. And if you go back and listen to the, the first few, I would say probably the first five or five or ten interviews, I feel like I impose my personality a little bit more. M maybe it's because they're mostly people that I know really well, friends of mine. Um, like, for instance, the, the interview that I had with Eric was really just a, I don't know, just like we would normally talk, sitting around, you know, chatting together. It really came to surface on this last interview that I had with James Conlon. But then, you know, I was thinking he, 
literally is my boss. Uh, it, I have to be a little bit more uh, gentle. I don't know if gentle is the right word, but but maybe, you know, he wanted to tell his story. I was very happy that he did. The, the biographical element of the interview I thought was really interesting. But I did notice, and I have noticed uh, in the last few interviews, that I don't impose myself as much as I thought that I would. I don't know. I, I'd love to get your opinion. I don't know if... Uh, if it matters that much, I think I'm going to try and uh, be, be a little bit more assertive with my personality in the next few interviews. But anyway, I don't even know why I'm telling you all this. It doesn't really matter. Shoot me an email or call a number on my website and let me know what you think. Anyway, here's Claire Friday. Sure is nice to see you. It's nice to be here. Um, normally, I start at the beginning of a person's life from like conception, which is always a fun story. Yeah. But no, we're gonna let's start from where you are now because I know you as an uh, assistant stage manager at LA Opera, and it's been a couple years since I've seen you. You were excellent at that job, and now I see you on Facebook that you're out and about doing all sorts of really interesting non-related things. And uh, so let's start with what you've done most recently and work our way backwards. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Well, you, I have to correct you really quickly because yeah. you said assistant stage manager yeah. and I was the rehearsal administrator oh. after I was in ASM at the company. So that was my last, Got it. that was my last uh, foray at the exactly, LA. Exactly. Okay. So anyways, recently I've, I've taken on a lot of new projects in the events world yeah. and um re most recently the conventions and i just got back from a debate yeah, in yeah, Hempstead, yeah. new york yeah yeah yeah. let's talk about that that, that was exciting that was wild that and, was pretty cool and you said we were down in the kitchen you said that was for facebook yeah i am um, i'm actually working with an events company based out of sherman oaks mm -hmm. and they have contracted me for the past couple of years as a freelance event manager producer mm-hmm and they're a great company. I should give them a shameless plug on the air. They're called A2E, and they're out of Sherman Oaks. Okay. Um, and honestly, it's one of the best companies I think I've ever worked for. Wow. And the team that has been assembled is just spot on, on point, knows what to do, knows their stuff, and knows how to get something from nothing into an incredible piece. And what so, were you doing with Facebook? Uh, did you set up a booth or some kind of yeah, a... Yeah, well, not to get off topic, topic, but um, at this last debate, we did kind of an activation for Facebook in the what they call the spin room, mm -hmm. which is actually where all the press and the media sit and Trump actually made an appearance. Hillary didn't. Oh my so that was... That was interesting. Okay, um, tell me about that. I want to hear all about that. <laughs> tell me about Trump. Well, I, I got him on video. I okay. think he he may he um was interviewed by somebody in front of me, and sure. I was basically standing there. I was elbowed by cameramen, so I can't say that I didn't walk away with some bruises. Uh, yeah, yeah. To try to get him on video, um, you can see it on my Facebook page. I posted it. It's like a ten second video. Oh, I got to see that. Yeah, you do. Um, but yeah, the spin room is a pretty fascinating place to be at the debate because that's where all of the stories come out of. All the press sit there, the media, and they basically spin what's going on. Sure. And they call it the spin room. And for Facebook, we did this activation that was um, – it was a, a Facebook Live setup, which Facebook Live is now becoming huge mm -hmm. on so many – platforms yeah. people are just sitting in their living rooms you know we could go live from this whole interview and yeah. people we'd get viewers you yeah, know yeah. um and i think that that whole that whole platform has become so critical in this election mm -hmm. because it's really facebook live has kind of made 
you know, the press and PR about these two candidates so big and everybody mm -hmm. has just gone nuts about Facebook having a presence at both the RNC and the DNC. And now the historical debates in this election season. Mm -hmm. So um, being there was really cool. Mm -hmm. And we basically helped fabricate this entire space that became a live lounge. And we had delegates and politicians sit there and interview. And okay. it, it was really cool. And, um, you know, that was a crazy six days. I mean, I think debate day, you know, I was up at 4.30 in the morning and I went to sleep at like 2.30 oh the next morning. So it was it was a very very involved day but but i had this moment where i was standing there after the debate was over yeah. and you see it on the tvs they broadcast it there's no cutting you see lester holt walk in and warm up the audience and say now there's no booing there's no clapping yeah everybody needs to be quiet so you are watching this as it happens yeah, yeah. and i had this moment where i was tr i turned to a colleague of mine and i said we're like this opportunity is never going to happen now, again. Now, what do you think? What do you think of the criticism that Lester's getting over the over the moderation? You know, what was your? Uh, how did it feel there to you? You know, it felt very. Um, it, it, it was a very different vibe being there yeah. than I think it was on TV. I mm -hmm. didn't actually watch the TV broadcast, mm -hmm. but being there live and seeing the whole thing happen, mm -hmm. I think basically, you know. The world wanted to hear what these two people had to say because we're in a very critical time in this country. Sure. And I think more and more people are wanting solutions to problems that are pretty major. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Lester Holt being a moderator, you know, he's there to ask a question mm -hmm. and he's there to get a response. Right. And he's there to basically it's like a like a boxing match. Right. He's there to say, This is the fact, this is the question, this is what this is what we want. We want an answer to this. Right. Um, and I think he w did a very good job. I think he he did what he was supposed to do. You know, it's funny because I uh, um, obviously the media is swinging it in exactly the, the opposite way. But yeah. I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, I I know that he's uh, I'm, I'm a I don't know what your political bent is, but everybody knows that I'm dyed in the wool uh, liberal. And um, and I know that he's not. And mm -hmm. I thought that he could have been a lot less fair especially to Hillary. And I thought uh, he really couldn't do much about Donald Trump because that's just the way he behaves. And I think all things considered, I, 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 kinda, I agree with you too. I might take some flack over this, but I, I, didn't, I didn't see the huge problems that everybody was talking about. Yeah, and, and it's, it's funny because when I was sitting there watching him live on TV, you know, they count him down. Mm -hmm. In television, they count down the person who's, who's either hosting, moderating, right. because they're uplinking live. So right. all of the trucks have to be in sync. The fibers have to be working. Everything mm -hmm. has to be running. Mm -hmm. And while he was sitting there on camera, he turned to the audience and said, okay, I'm going to count you down in five seconds, and then we're going live, and there's no, like, no talking. Yeah. And he's being He's corralled. got a lot on his plate. He's got yeah. a lot on his plate. And when you're moderating something like a presidential debate, mm -hmm. that's got to be a hot seat that is just unparalleled. Yeah. so stressful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he knew that that, that that'd be record people, exactly. a record amount of people watching it. It, it, it was yeah. the, this guy at the hotel that I was staying at, this, this technician, my TV was broken one night and he walked in and he said, it's going to be like the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I said, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's going to yeah. be like the Super Bowl. In that way, it's exciting. I mean, it's yeah. getting people to vote, I think, uh, getting people more educated than normal. I mean, I, I don't know if that's going to be Trump's legacy. I'm not sure. I don't know. What, what was he it, like? Is, is it, he, I mean, You know, I, I really, first of all, I have political opinions. Yeah. I'm 
not going to talk about him here, yeah, but yeah. I have my beliefs on both sides. Yeah. Um, I think Donald Trump knows what he's saying. Uh-huh. I think he knows he's being ridiculous. Yeah. I know. I think he. Yeah. Underst- do you think it's a put on? I think he get he he gets what he's doing. I don't think he's dumb. I think he knows, but he's not doing a very good job at trying to be likable. Right. Because I think this country goes for somebody that they like. Yeah. That's that's one thing that I think about Hillary, and that's one of the things that I was thinking through the debate is that she doesn't seem to understand that most Americans don't care about the truth or facts. Yeah, they don't. And it's a real problem. Uh, For me, it's a real problem. problem. (laughs) It's a real problem. Yeah. And, you know, it's a a celebrity showdown is what I'm calling this election. It's celebrity. And, you know, I have opinions about a president being a celebrity. it it just to me feels like it's a show, yeah. and I felt like I was, it, I felt like I was going to see Lauren Michaels and the cast of SNL right. walk on the debate stage. That's I turned right. to my colleague and I said, I said, where the heck is the SNL cast? Right, you know, this right. is this is something that is a little too celebrity for me. Now, did you come across some beacons of journalistic integrity while you were out there, or was it all total pandemonium? It was pandemonium. I mean, there really wasn't any time to sort of talk to people, and there were people everywhere and interviews going on, you know, cameras in your face, microphones. I I don't think I've been in that sort of pandemonium in Uh one room Uh in a very long time. I mean, the conventions were different. The RNC and the DNC... Those were bigger things where there were was much more, you know, um, time yeah. to get interviews, yeah. and it, the stakes weren't as high. Now, what debate, did you get? A, uh, what was the difference in vibes between the RNC and the DNC? Did you have a very particular feeling going from one to the other? Yeah, the RNC I feel like was more. Um, people were expecting a bigger scene at the RNC. Okay, the police the security the Unrest, secret service violence, that kind of thing. it was mm. it was a lot more secure as mm-hmm. far as um you know how close you could get mm-hmm. just pe- i think people were on heightened alert okay um but i feel like the rnc there were more things going on outside of the queue the quick and loans arena where it actually the arena where it actually happened okay um and we had a space i i was an event manager there for uh, Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. There was a team of about eight or nine of us that went from A to E and we supported Facebook and did um, the RNC and the DNC and the RNC felt more open. The DNC, huh. we were all crammed into the Wells Fargo Center and that seemed more chaotic, believe it or not. Really? It did. And I think it's because the, everything was so concentrated at the DNC and there was nothing really happening outside of the arena other than the media center, right. which was a tented area outside of the arena. Right. Okay. So the RNC was more open and they had like, you know, bars and food at the back of the, the arena across from the like baseball people were field. tailgating or, I mean, that, it's that, that uh, well, kind of feeling, it right? Was, it was kind wow. of like an outdoor party okay. vibe. Um, for happy hours and stuff. See, I thought that it would feel a lot more dangerous for some reason. You know, once I got there, and I have to hand it to the police, I don't think I've ever witnessed such um, poise, security, and and, um, safety Mm -hmm. on an event as I did both of these conventions. And I say that because, you know, the police now and the media are getting – there's so much going on. And and, – being there on the ground and being in the middle of all of that and seeing what security parameters were being taken mm-hmm. to create these two massive events, mm-hmm. the security and the police and 
the Secret Service worked around the clock to mm -hmm. make sure that people were safe. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a huge, just, just undertaking. Yeah, I, it, yeah, yeah. It, it's just I feel like they did. They have to get more credit than they did in the media for both of those conventions because we were all safe. And, yeah, and what kind of what kind of security clearances do you need to to go through to to get into these events? Well, there's long lines. First of all, you have to wait in line, and then you go through like the TSA screening at the airport. Uh -huh. They had a lot of those stations. So you mm -hmm. go through TSA. They basically open up your bag. They look at your laptop. They look at your phone. Mm -hmm. They look at everything in sure. there. Um, you couldn't take umbrellas in. Okay. They were prohibited. You had an umbrella, aerosol spray can of sunscreen. They kept it all at TSA. You okay. couldn't take it in the building. Okay. Um, so they were very particular about what was brought in, and they searched all of your bags. Mm -hmm. um, it was just like going going on a plane. Now, did you, did you have the wherewithal and the ability to pay attention to the actual speeches, or were you just hustling so much? Um yes and no i had moments where i could where i could hear i was um my role on both of those conventions was was transportation mm -hmm. guru and i was basically responsible for getting oh i don't know 150 people to and from the arenas mm -hmm. with outsourced vehicles from local transportation companies i see so that was my role was organizing all of that and getting people back and forth so safety to me was basically at the top of my list mm -hmm. because that's part of getting people to and from their hotel to the arena right. so um but so i was kind of running around outside of the perimeter dealing with vehicles getting people on getting them where they needed to go some people were staying 50 miles outside the city center which was you know insane yeah. yeah um so i got to see i got to see trump's speech i got to see hillary's speech i got to see snippets of those things tell me about the differences between those, those I two things i think the i think the main difference in both of those was the response hmm. um i was actually in the arena when trump spoke okay. at the queue okay and i was i wasn't really in the arena when hillary spoke at the um in philadelphia mm -hmm. but i was outside of sort of that whole i couldn't get in so mm -hmm. you had to have a special credential to get into the, i see the um the hall so um I just think the way that the audience received both of them was very different. It was more um, the demographic that was there. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean that in a factual, factual sure. it was a factual, you know, sure. thing that I saw. So, um, you know, both of them, both of them, I thought, and I might get reamed for this, both of them, I thought, gave good speeches. Uh -huh. um, and I think that both of them gave some really good points. Yeah. And I think that... Um, you know, it, it's it was basically kind of a, you know, just a show. Now, being at these things, has it encouraged the, your feelings towards, uh, in a positive way, towards our political process, or has it totally uh, degraded? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I love the work that I do. Yeah. And we can get into that sure. in, in a minute. Um, I love the work that I do. I love the team that I work with. Yeah. I love um, the experiences that I get to be a part of. Yeah. Those are things that are going to be with me for the rest of my life. And what about as an American as and an, a voter? As an American and as a voter, I feel that there are a lot of things that the country needs to pay attention to, especially mm -hmm. in this election. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are undecided right now. There's a ton of undecided voters yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all I can really say is we all have our own beliefs. We all sure. have ideas that we're strong, we, we feel strongly about. 
and um, things in our own lives that we can see, you know, being very, very passionate about from a political standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, from Mm -hmm. a religious standpoint, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that everybody needs to really sit down and figure out for themselves what is important to them mm-hmm. and what issues are important to their lives and vote their conscience and vote vote their conscience right. yeah that's and our obligation as exactly Americans. Yeah. and this is not a popularity contest you know yeah. there's people <laughs> it makes me laugh you know it's like well we, you know if you, who are you voting for who are yeah. you who how many people are voting for this candidate how and and that's that's great but it's not a popularity contest right you need to vote for who you feel is going to represent yeah. exactly mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. okay so leading up to the job that you're in now, let's move. Mm-hmm. Let's well, actually, I want to go back. You so you grew up in California, yeah? I did. I grew up in Orange County. In Orange County, yeah. Orange County, yeah. yeah you and me both. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, I want to track how you got to where you are going through the education that you had. You yeah. you told me downstairs that you, uh, uh, well, you tell me what you did. You. In undergraduate, you went to Vanguard. I went to Vanguard in Costa Mesa. Yeah. And, um, and you studied? I studied theater. Okay. Now, yeah. were you in theater in high school? I was in theater in high school. Oh, you were? But I was an Irish dancer. Did I ever tell you this? No, I, I didn't know that. I was a professional Irish dancer for 10 years. What? In high school and college. Yep. Yep. I competed. I saw Riverdance when yeah. I was 14. Yeah. And Had you danced um, before that? Yeah. I, okay. did, I did a lot of dancing when I was... A young kid. I did jazz, ballet. I had a big, big dance background. Was your mom a dancer? No, there Nobody. were no, no dancers in my family. So when did that start for you? Like, what was the that, what was the day where you're like, oh my god, I've got to dance? You know, probably eight or nine wow. is when I started dancing. I took class, and um, you know, it, it, I mean, that's why I'm a gym nut these days is because I've been dancing my whole life, wow. you know, and it was a part, a huge part of my life, okay. and a huge part of of um just something that I, I loved to do and I loved to be a part of. Okay. So, yeah, I, I went into high school actually doing theater, and then I was really hardcore competitive Irish dancer, and I did that for 10 years. I went to regionals, nationals, um, and, yeah, and okay. I, that was 10 years of my life that was a lot of fun. Okay. Um, and when I went to college, I kind of went into college thinking, well, I, I've got this dance background. I'm Irish dancing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to act. Mm-hmm. I took a couple of acting classes. Okay. And I, so, I'm sorry to my acting teacher who's listening to this, <laughs> this podcast, but I took a couple of acting classes and I said, no, that's not me. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want to be on stage, but I still love to dance. Okay. And, and um, you know, it was probably two years into college where somebody actually came up to me who was a senior and said, do you want an ASM on this show that I'm stage managing? Okay. And I thought to myself, what the heck is an ASM? I, I mean, what, what was your what was your official declared major at that point? It was theater. It was it theater. Was theater. Okay. But I wanted to kind of get out of the acting yeah. side, and that's when I yeah. found technical theater yeah. and okay. stage managing mm-hmm. when I was halfway through my four years. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, I was an ASM, for mm-hmm. those of you listening, an assistant stage manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for the last two years of college. Mm-hmm. And then a professor said to me, you know, you should really get an MFA in stage management. Right. 
and I, you know, I went, what the heck is an MFA? So all these acronyms were floating around yeah. and I, I, um, now had you it, stopped dancing at this point? No, I was still dancing. And now were you dancing professionally? I was, da I was competitive. I, see. I was competitive. So yeah. how were you, were you gigging at all when you were in college? Were you, did you have a job? How did you No, no? You know, my dad, I worked for my dad. My uh -huh. dad owned an ad agency in uh -huh. Newport beach. So yeah. I would work for my dad in the summers and then I would dance all the time. I Got mean, it. I'd practice about two hours a day when I was in school. And you didn't go to Opera Pacific and do ASMing there? Well, I did, to... actually. Oh, did? I went to I I went to Opera Pacific for one show oh. um, when I was out of undergrad. I took a year off between graduate school and- An undergrad. Yeah, mm -hmm. an undergrad. Mm -hmm. So um, I got hired at Opera Pacific. I see to be a production assistant, but I had ASM duties, so I was kind of a PA-ASM mm -hmm. dichotomy. Um, and that's when it really hit home for me that huh. opera was something that I had to have in my life. Now, did you have an opera background at all? Were you like, no. did you, were you listening to opera? I, I didn't even know what an opera was when that's I amazing. started working on that show. What and show I, was it? Do you remember? It was Turned Out. And okay. I remember getting the offer letter in my email yeah. at the time, and I looked at the word of the opera, and it's and I went turn do mm -hmm. turn do mm -hmm. what what the heck is this? Mm -hmm. And I'd never seen an opera. I'd never my my grandfather was a big Handel fan. Uh -huh. Handel is near and dear to my heart. Okay. I mean, a lot of people go, oh, Handel is so boring. Boring. I love because Handel. of your grandfather, or was it I church it, or what? Well, is no, it? I think it was passed down to me from my grandfather. Oh, I, I think that the uh, my grandfather loved opera, yeah. and I didn't even know that I loved opera until I okay. did this opera at Opera Pacific. So okay. it was in the family sure. all along. Um, so yeah, that was my very first exposure to to being backstage working on an opera, and I came away saying, "I have to do this." Like, there is so much going on. There's music. There's lights. Yeah. There's elaborate costumes. They're singing, and I have a real respect for singers. Yeah. I, I mean, I've worked in opera for ten plus years, um, and I think the singers make the art form. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of other things on on the sidelines, which we all know: mm -hmm. stage managers, designers, directors, everybody, administrators. Mm -hmm. But the singers make the art form, and I have a deep respect for singers because I could not get up there and do what they do. Sure. It's a highly technical, highly trained, highly, you know, it's just a technical thing that is so tight and so precise mm -hmm. that it's just, I, I, I'm in awe of people that can do that. You never, I want, really you never wanted to try it? Never. No. Never. Hmm. I, I Never when, everybody, to when, that, when the theater was empty, you didn't just get <laughs> no, out on stage. And... No, I mean, I played instruments for a little while. I played piano piano for about two months, and then I said, I'm not going to sit here and do this. <laughs> and then I tried clarinet for a year in sixth grade. Okay. And then I said, I'm not going to sit here and blow into this instrument. I, I, I can't do yeah. it. And then, I mean, it was just like the dancing was always. Is it because you're more of an extrovert, social person? Is that part of you it? You know, I didn't used to be. I see. I was a big introvert when I was younger. Mm. I was not very social. And mm. I was, you know, I I concentrated on school. Mm -hmm. I really didn't have a lot of friends, honestly. Like, I, I was very, very introverted. Wow. And I think over the past, you know, 10 or 15 years, I kind of have gotten out of that because just – I yeah, have, I would never you know? guess that. I mean, when, yeah. when you were when, when you were with us at LA Opera, I was thought, oh, this, you know. Oh, people, people, people don't believe me when I when I say I was an introvert. Yeah, I was a yeah. big, big introvert, especially in grade school and part of high school. I was just not, just not very social. Yeah, but, yeah. But um, you know, the entertainment business makes you be social. Sure. 
and especially if you're a freelancer and you're somebody who is wanting to get out there and be in front of people and just, you know, soak up all of the experience and, you know, well, you opportunities, have have, yeah. you have to, you have to be an ex yeah. extrovert. And you have to have a, a real genuine interest and love for people. You do. I mean, you do. Uh, that's true for all of the performing arts for sure I, I well i don't know maybe i'm wrong maybe there are people no. that, that just that hide behind what they do to, I, I don't know you know we all we're all a little insane in the arts uh, yeah we, you can't, have to we, be. We, we all have to be and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. but then you know there's there's a part of us that have to be around that because it's a form of expressing ourselves right and music music to me is something that the is ultimate form of it is yeah. and it's something that i i have had my entire life mm -hmm music is so important mm -hmm. so important in fact like you know the schools ditching the music programs it's just heartbreaking well yeah it's heartbreaking yeah yeah that's it's, that's a political discussion yeah yeah it, right is. <laughs> it is right 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 it started but, in the 80s yeah um but i mean music is just something that everybody needs yeah that's right okay so you got yeah. the bug you got the bug at opera pacific when yep. you were at vanguard yeah and from there Oh, there's my dog. Hi, Sam. Why don't you lie down? I don't know how you got in. Why don't you go lie down? Very um, beautiful dog. Oh, thank you. Sam, lie Hi. down. Hi. Okay, so uh, how did you – you took a year off between undergrad mm -hmm. and grad school. What did yeah. you do in that year? Did you have anything? Um, yeah, in that year, I worked at Opera Pacific, obviously, and then oh, I – you kept on? Well, I kind of kept on into the administrative side. I came in like two days a week and did some some work that was not really – you know, the kind of it kind of exposed me to a little bit of of um, you know, the administrative side of opera. I wonder if that and was then, there at the time. What, what around what year was that? Do that you was two thousand and four. Yeah, I was there. Were I you was really? singing there. Yeah. How funny! Isn't that funny? How funny! Oh, two thousand four. Actually, no. It was fall of two thousand four. No, that was yeah. yeah. That was after I was yeah. I was at Fullerton. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So sorry. That's so, okay. No. Uh, I was just wondering if we'd run into each other. Uh, so you were there for that year. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I also managed the theater department at my alma mater. So I worked at Vanguard oh. and kind of ran their theater department. And I they basically gave me QuickBooks and said, "Figure this out." Okay. And I said, "Okay, okay, I'll, I'll figure this out." Yeah. Um, and I'd never even seen QuickBooks. I'd never had any exposure to like budgets or anything. And I basically sat there and I said, "Okay, I'm going to figure this out." Yeah. And and I did that for a year. And then I went to Champaign Urbana. Okay. I went to University of Illinois Champaign Urbana. And for why grad is school. that? What 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 in particular? It was the opera program. Okay. It was the fact, and um, I'm going to plug U of I right now. They're an amazing school. Okay. Their vocal program, their theater department the whole arts program there is so polished mm -hmm. and they have four spaces that you get to work in. So the amount of work that you get to do mm -hmm. and the people that you meet and it's a roadhouse, you mm -hmm. know, Lyle Lovett was there when I was working there and um, Yo-Yo Ma, you know, you see Yo-Yo Ma walking down the hallway and you think I'm going to school here. Yeah. You know, I'm getting a degree and I get to meet these people and see these people yeah, and yeah. be a part of this. Um, and I spent three years there, stage managing opera, mm -hmm. dance and theater. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I, I basically walked in and I said, "Listen, I want to stage manage opera. That's what I came here to do. Yeah. So give me the operas." Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so they they did. And um, I, I had a great three years there. I mean, the first year, I always say to people who want to get an MFA, especially um, students in undergrad, they say, "Well, is it worth it?" And I say, "You know, for the amount of experience that I received." Yeah. And the contacts that I came away with, mm -hmm. it's worth it. And you kind of have to understand that when you're in graduate school, especially in an MFA program, 
you're going to be doing a lot of things, a lot of different things, and meeting a lot of different people. And the contacts that you make in a graduate program are contacts that are going to help you when you graduate. Mm -hmm. And that was something that no one really said to me when I was in that program. I mean, people alluded to it, but nobody sat me down and said, Claire, listen, right? keep in touch with these people and they're going to help you have a career. And Nobody that, that said that. And that ended up happening for and, you? Well, yeah. I actually, when I was in my second year of graduate school, mm-hmm. I met um, through my advisor at the time, the production manager at the then Kodak Theater, which is now the Dolby Theater. Sure. And I interned there for a summer and did about eight shows, um, kind of load in, load out, shadowed, you know, worked one-on-one with the production manager. Sure. And I got to know the crew there. I got to know the staff. And um, that basically, I say, changed my career. That was the summer that kind of kind of put me on the map in production. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, I actually, that's when I, the next year I applied to LA Opera and I got the internship. Lila gave me the internship. And then I was, I met a producer in TV when mm-hmm. I was at Kodak. And then I got a PA job right after LA Opera. So basically, I kind of got, things from that experience at Kodak and then I reconnected with Lila and and it just it just happened so I started working in TV and then I was at LA Opera for Il Tritico sure um and then worked as an ASM at LA Opera for about four years Uh four seasons on Uh and off right um and at the same time I did TV for that's I was kind of freelancing between opera and TV what were you doing in TV TV I did the Miss America pageant for two years okay when it was in Vegas, it's okay. in Atlantic City now. Yeah, uh, and then I did the AFI Life Achievement Award, which sure. is, was a great show to work on. I can um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and um, there were a few ESPN shows at the well, the ESP Awards, and then there were a few other ancillary award shows. It basically variety TV was mm-hmm. what I did. I never got to work on the Oscars. Mm, okay. So I haven't either, frankly. Yeah. I, I always want to sing on the Oscars every year, and I, I keep waiting to get called. But yeah, <laughs> d- I never got to work on the Oscars. Yeah. I, I wish I, I wish I would have. But yeah, you know, yeah, maybe someday. And then what happened? What was there a particular day where you thought, you know what, I, I don't want to do this anymore? Um, well, there was a particular day when I didn't want to do TV anymore. I, um, it, it, you know, TV is a very very big machine yeah. in the fact that it cranks out a lot of things. Mm-hmm. The stakes are very high. Mm-hmm. You are broadcasting to millions of people. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money involved. It's a machine. And, you know, I I did some production coordinating. I did some, you know, I did a lot of different shows, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really hitting home for me. There okay. was something about it that I just was not loving. The experience was great. I learned all budgeting, accounting. I basically was taken under the wing of two producers who mm-hmm. basically showed me how to how to do this, how to produce. And I kind of just soaked it all up and said, okay, I'm gonna do what I can while I'm here. Right. Um, but but it wasn't doing it for me. You know, what, there are some people that love to work in TV who mm-hmm. just like love it, love it, love it. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't it wasn't doing it for me. And I think it was, um, you know, just me wanting to do more and have more responsibility. Sure. I was always saying, give me more things to do. Mm-hmm. I want to be doing more. I want more responsibility. I want to do this, you okay. know. 
Um, and I wasn't really getting a chance. And so I kind of said, you know what? I'm going to transition out of TV and I'm going to just stick with opera. Uh-huh. And I'm going to just see what I can do with opera and see how far I can go. I mean, where do you go from LA Opera, though? I mean, I mean that's... Well, geez. I mean, I, you know, I, I freelanced a lot as an ASM and a stage manager for about four to five years mm -hmm. on and off. You know, mm -hmm. I worked in Denver. I worked in San Diego for two seasons. Okay. And so I, I went to a lot of different companies and I saw a lot of different structures mm -hmm. of how companies work mm -hmm. and I loved it so much and I thought well this is great you know I can ride this wave for a while but I all but I wanted to do something bigger right I just wanted I wanted something bigger and um around that time that I kind of wanted that bigger position um I applied for a job at Boston Lyric and oh, I was nice. there for six months and I was the production administrator at Boston and then I got the call from LA Opera to come be the rehearsal administrator yeah. when I was in Boston. Yeah. So I basically, I, I wanted to stick with opera okay. for, you know, as long as I could. Um, so that was kind of how that whole thing evolved with the TV going away mm -hmm. and just concentrating on opera. You know, I did some projects here and there in those years that I was um, still freelancing as a stage manager where I would do a couple of events mm -hmm for two days ah, okay. and I kind of got a little bit of event management experience but mm -hmm. it was like two days here two days there mm -hmm. and it was kind of a glimpse of what is now my future right which is kind of ironic at the time um did you have the same kind of epiphany as you did when you first were at Opera Pacific where you thought oh my god this is what I want to do when was there something about events that really well yeah I I am um, when I left LA Opera as the rehearsal administrator about two and a half three years ago I got a call from a friend of mine um, to do a show in Pasadena, mm -hmm. and it was kind of a, a like helping him co-produce the show. Mm -hmm. So taking basically the the elements that he had laid out and already executing them, getting all of the production vendors lined up, you know, working with a production manager to hire the contractors and the vendors and mm -hmm. contracts and everything, and get this show produced from basically nothing to something. Yeah. Um, and I went away from that experience going, I need to be back into like the quick and crazy event life. You know, there was something about that where I just went, you know, I'm not a nine to fiver. I'm not an administrator. Yeah. I'm not somebody who can just do one job. Yeah, I feel. Yeah. Yep. And sit there and just do one job. And yeah. I and I literally thought I like that summer. It was summer of of 2000 and. 14, 15, God, what, what year are we? 2016. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I literally came away from that show going, this is me. You know, this is who I am. Hmm. I, I have to be doing multiple things, multiple projects, you know, working crazy hours, yeah. not sitting at a desk. You know, I mean, sitting at a desk to me is I, I just. I, I don't know how to do it. Not I only can, can I, I do not it. do it, I just don't know how to do it. I can't do it. I, I just can't do it. I, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I'm fortunate now that I work from my house, but, you yeah. know, I can get up and move around. I go to the gym in the morning yeah. and, and you know, I, I move, I'm traveling, I'm doing events and, and I'm moving around and jumping around and making things happen. And it's great. Um, but I just literally said to myself, I can't sit at a desk. Yeah. I have to be doing things. I have to be meeting people. I have to be networking. And yeah. that's who I am. And, and what about your personal life? How do you how do you do you have, how do you maintain a relationship when you're 
do you have i mean is that something you're successful at or no well speaking of um i am in a relationship with a very fantastic guy um he's a tenor i know people are going to be listening to this going oh my gosh claire you're dating a tenor no no but tenors are the best tenors are the best <laughs> um i don't know he, what you mean <laughs> he is i actually met him believe it or not 12 years ago at opera pacific really and we set about three words to each other three sentences i mean we he was he was basically in the show and yeah. i saw him and we barely interacted yeah and um you know we kind of kept in touch but didn't mm -hmm. you know people you see him on facebook and you're like oh yeah i remember so and so and you yeah. follow him on facebook yeah. um and then about gosh like a year ago we saw each other again on what was one of the last opera stage management gigs that i took uh-huh um, before I decided to completely transition out of the arts. Okay. Um, and we met and he was divorced and we started dating and we've hit it off and we've been together and he is now living in Los Angeles and singing at the Met in New York. So how do, so, you, how do you manage your you schedules? You I mean, know, is it just kind of uh, understood that you're not going to see each other sometimes? You have to have a very understanding partner. And yeah. I can honestly say that Greg, my boyfriend, mm -hmm. is probably one of the most understanding people I've ever met. Wow. And he gets it. You have to have a partner that gets it when you do this. Sure. Because it's a lot of hours. You're not in the same place a lot. You're mm -hmm. bouncing around. You're traveling. Mm -hmm. You have to make time. Mm -hmm. And that's what I say for people in relationships, in jobs, trying to juggle their personal life. I mean, I just got back from three weeks on the road. Mm -hmm. And now here I am back and going, okay, I have a life that I have to attend to. Right. You've got to make time. Right. You know, it's time management just like it is in your career. That's so right. you have to find time to be with somebody, to connect with somebody. And I think a lot of people, especially in opera and the arts, mm -hmm. we we travel so much, we do a lot of different things where there's so much stimulus mm -hmm. around us mm -hmm. that we we are in our own tunnel vision and sure. we forget the peripheral life. Right. Relationships, family. Taking uh, care of yourself. What about family? I mean, have you think have you guys? I I don't know. I don't want to presume that you guys are in that phase. But is that something that you personally well, would like to? Well, I I don't want kids. You don't. I was never bitten with the kid bug. Okay. I never had it. I'm I'm 34. I'll be 35 in April. But okay. I just I that was you never. You don't have that impulse. It's not in the cards for me. Okay. It's it's people that do that. I admire. <laughs> I admire people with children. I admire you. I admire people with kids. I really, really do. Well, the grass is always greener. I can tell you that. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and the other thing is, is that you, you I, I'm around so many different people. Yeah. And so I have, you know, the people that I work with, I adore. And we spend so much time on the road together. Sure. Um, and I kind of feel like we're family. And mm -hmm. I have my family here in California. I've got Greg. I've got the people that I work with, my friends that sure. are here. Your family's still here? My family's still here. Mm -hmm. My family's still in California. Um, but, you know, I just having kids of my own, yeah. I don't even know how I would do it with my schedule, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. hard. Well, I don't know a single parent that uh, would uh, is listening to this that in the back of their head at least thinks, oh, my God, that just sounds so – you just get up and you go and – you don't have to pack three bags and worry about uh, diapers, and you just can just go and wherever you want. Packing lunches. And, yeah, I mean that, that's <laughs> the, you know it's the fantasy of just about every parent with little uh, babies yeah. in particular. So uh, you know I think about that. I also think about how 
lucky I am to have kids, but yeah. there are days where I think, oh, I wish I were Claire. That just sounds so, <laughs> so nice. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, but I mean, it's family, family and relationships, you know, you kind of have to, when you get so busy, you have to pull yourself back down and say, that's important. That's it. Because that, that's, that's the most important thing in this life. I mean, my dad, my dad is a three-time cancer survivor. Oh, wow. Okay. He had um, melanoma and the doctors gave him a year to live when I was in graduate school. They said, you'll be, you'll be dead in a year. Wow. Um, and it's a story that I tell to a lot of people just because, you know, I was in graduate school getting a master's degree, you mm -hmm. know, working really hard and, mm -hmm. and you get the phone call early in the morning from the West Coast and thinking, why is everybody up so early? And your dad gets on the phone and says, I have cancer. And- yeah. It's like I, there's a big paradigm shift. Yeah, Everything just tilts. Exactly. Yeah. And that was a very dark day in my life. And mm -hmm. I'll never forget that day. But now, you know, he's in remission. He's here. And that that kind of made me go, you know, I'm a go-getter. I want a career. I want to be doing things. I want to be making a difference in mm -hmm. this world of production and entertainment. But there's family. Right. There's friends. There's relationships. There's a time to slow down. There's a time to slow down. Mm -hmm. And you have to take that, especially in events production where I am right now, we, we you have to block time and if mm -hmm. you don't block time time is going to catch up to you and say oh you don't have that time anymore you yep. know you better that time's just passed. yeah it's gone so you you have to make time and block time that's how i felt about having kids too i you know i, I was having a, a pretty uh, the beginnings of a of a pretty decent career a number of years ago and i just you know i had kind of an arrested development and i i was kind of late to getting my stuff together and i i had to do the same thing i had to decide okay am i yeah. going to have a family and if i'm going to have a family it's going to be now exactly and if not then okay and i have to i have to deal with that but well and the other thing is is that you know you have to do things when you can do them because you only get one life that's it you don't get another chance at this mm -hmm. you got one mm -hmm. and that's all you get yeah and that's kind of the reason why I, if I can be perfectly honest, why I left the opera mm -hmm. I and why I left nonprofit administration. Mm -hmm. I just thought, I'm not happy. Yeah. And I and I got and you've checked gone as myself. Far as you yeah, want to go. Exactly. Yeah. I got checked myself over and over again. And I thought, is this really what I'm feeling? Am I do I really need to mm -hmm. make a change? Do I really need to do something else? Mm -hmm. And I said I said to myself, Yeah, I, I think I do. And now yeah, it's exhausting being on the road. It's exhausting working so many hours. It's ex exhausting traveling. But the payoff to mm -hmm. me and the the things that I'm doing and the fact that I can produce something from the ground up mm -hmm. is so much more fulfilling. And even though you're tired, you're also really happy at right. the same time. And that is that's possible. And I don't think that, that I realized that that was even possible even two years ago. You know, I kind of pigeonholed myself and said, well, this is what I'm meant to do with my life. And yeah. then I went, no, I, it's it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. you know, it's yeah. my life and I want to be happy and I want to do what I'm supposed to do. And I it's when you get that realization, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Is it a, a combination of uh, wherewithal and a, a pinch of courage that keeps you? Yeah. I mean, uh, do you see it seems like you've just really hit your stride doing what you're doing. I'm not I don't mean to say like what's. What are you going to do next? But, you know, what is this? How long is this going to last, do you think? Well, it's funny you should mention. Yeah. I um, I love doing this. Yeah. I, I love event producing. I love event managing. I think it's something that is really who I am. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, artist management, if I can digress for a moment, yeah. was good while it lasted. But in artist management, I think a lot of times it's the luck of the draw. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that. How did yeah. you, uh, in, in between uh, the uh, in between leaving the opera and getting into what you're doing now, yeah. you, you, you were an, um, a manager. Yeah, I have my own company. Still have my own company. How did that start? Um, I basically thought, hey, I could manage artists. Okay because I've been around them for so many years. Yeah. I know the AGMA contract. Mm -hmm. I know so many houses. Mm -hmm. I know how houses operate. Mm -hmm. I understand fee structures. I understand negotiation. Mm -hmm. I understand rep. I understand voices. Mm -hmm. And I thought, why can't I do this, sure. you know? Um, and I think during those two years, I mean, you know, being a manager takes a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be years and years and years and years where you're not going to see much income. Right. And because you're basically taking income off of your product. Right. And if they're not good or if they're not ready or ready, whatever. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Your income is not coming. Mm -hmm. And um, it was kind of a rude awakening to me when I looked at my books when I, you know, because – I had to keep record of everything I was doing because I'm I'm a corporation, and so I I basically looked at everything and I went, God, I'm not making any money at this. Mm -hmm. um, How many I, artists did you did you have? I had eight. Okay, I had eight artists, and obviously, you know, a lot of people that look at a roster of fifty go, Oh my gosh, there's fifty singers on that roster. But when you do the math and you figure out commission, you know, ten fifteen percent based off of each person on that roster. I mean. That's kind of your income, having right. a huge group of artists right. rather than eight. I mm -hmm. mean, you can take eight and focus on them for a long time and say, okay, I'm going to be low on cash for a while mm -hmm. while I take these eight and create them. Grow, and grow them. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. As um, artists. But I honestly think I was too impatient to do that. Uh -huh. And, you know, looking back on that now, I'm glad I did that because now I know how to run a company right. and run a business, which is doing events management now and event producing you are kind of running a mini business when you're putting on an event that's right. what it really is that's right you're working with a budget you're working with a lot of moving parts mm -hmm. and having that experience and having you know going to new york and doing audition trips and running that crazy circuit of being a manager yeah. kind of i in a weird way prepared prepared me for this and my company is in the process of transitioning into something else within the next year which was honestly right under my nose. Can you talk about that? Should I? Is that part two? <laughs> no, no, let's talk about it. What is it? Um, well, I my company is going to be called Done by Friday. Okay. And um, I it, it, kind of the epiphany for that idea, mm -hmm. it, and it's by no means ready for launching yet. I'm mm -hmm. going to take the next year and work on it. Mm -hmm. Um, that epiphany kind of came from after the conventions when I got back from Philadelphia and the DNC right. as. You know, I kind of did my postings on Facebook and said, hey, look at what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I got back and I had like this entire inbox full of messages on Facebook from people going, oh, my gosh, you're doing such cool stuff. Like, how are you getting this? How, you know, I need to get to the next step in my career. Oh, my God. And people who I had hadn't even heard from mm -hmm. in years. Yeah. And I and I kind of a light bulb went off in my head and I thought, huh, I've kind of been running a business with my life for the past 15 years of like making my own life mm -hmm. and getting to the next thing on my own. I mean, I don't have somebody behind me saying, take this job, take this opportunity, meet this person. Right. Nobody's saying that to me. So I've kind of been running the show and I thought, huh, done by Friday. Like 
I can teach people in five days. Mm -hmm. So the system is Monday through Friday, mm -hmm. meet your goal on Friday and take the weekend off. So it's a, it's a get to the next step, get your foot in the door, start Monday, do it on Friday, and you've got two days of rest. Okay. And that's the brand, that is the company brand. What it's going to become is still in the process of being worked out. Sure. But, um, you know, people want to make the right move right. in their career. They right. want the next step. They want to get their foot in the door. They want to be somewhere. They want to meet the right person. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just born with knocking on the door saying, hey, I'm here, you know. I want a job right. and I've never really been afraid of no. I mean, people have said, I've had people say no to me so many times I can't even count anymore, but it's like, you kind of have to be fearless. That's the trick. Don't keep count. You can't keep count. <laughs> no, you, you've got to be fearless. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I just, nobody says no to me. And I have that mentality of saying, okay, somebody says no to me, fine. They must be crazy. Next, next step, yeah. you know, next, next door, yeah. you know, you just keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And it's, and that to me is awesome. You know, sure. that's part of life and that's mm -hmm. part of the journey. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are just so afraid of doing that. They're like, oh, I'm afraid to make a phone call. I'm afraid to write an email. And with artist management, I kind of did that yeah. because you're the voice of an artist. Yeah. And now it's like if I'm consulting with people who even taking people to coffee who say to me, I don't know what the next step is. Mm -hmm. I go, well, here's what you do. Yeah. Um, we have that in common. That, that, that was the thing about this podcast. Yeah. I knew very well that uh i could pick up the phone or meet somebody and say hey why don't you come on my podcast and yep. i have i've i've had one person say no and it's somebody who's like a mega star now somebody who actually sang at my wedding who's now a huge star and you know i just have trouble getting a hold of hold of him that's it it wasn't even him it was like his Man management company. Well, whoever or that something. person is is missing out. You know, uh, you. but I've been very lucky. Yeah. I, I don't know, and like you said, I don't know if it's luck. It's just a matter of perseverance and it is perseverance and personality and just believing in yourself and knowing that knowing that your product is something that they should be interested in, exactly. whether they are or not, and There's, you're going to help them help themselves. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, that's true. And and you know, the other thing is, I I um, I didn't really used to be like this. A few years ago i mean boy the past three years have kind of catapulted me and my personality into a new realm mm -hmm. that i'm so excited about and um you know it, it's it's one of those things where you kind of have to figure out who you are over so many years and yeah. age is just just a number i mean i you i mean recently i used to say oh, look at everybody in their 20s who are doing all these things and mm -hmm. i'm in my almost my mid 30s mm -hmm. and and my mother would say to me that's an, that age is a number. It's right. it's nothing. It's nothing that has you by the neck. It's nothing that is gonna, you know, make you less than anybody else. It it, it it's a number. Right. And you know, if I do this for ten more years and I'm fifty and then something else happens, great, great. You know, it's all about living your life. And yeah. I think, um, I think instead of getting so stressed and just like having anxiety about direction which I used to in my 20s I had a lot of anxiety about like my career and you know I'd call my family and be like I don't even know what I want to do with my life what am I doing what are, you know yeah, and, yeah. and now I kind of sit here and I go you know as you get older you see the journey and you see that the journey is the that's, reason that's you do what deal. you do and that's the deal yeah, yeah. I mean just yeah. being on a presidential debate on Monday like a few days ago it's like Okay. There are people that would have killed for that experience. Yeah. And it it's the experience. Yeah. And you kind of just 
wake up one morning and go, you know, I like what I'm doing. I learned that at, at the opera too. And yeah. I, I mentioned downstairs, I, I had my debut a couple years ago, a couple seasons and, and I kept missing this cue and Conlon is conducting me and I'd go home and I'd be so, you know, dejected. And then I finally realized, you know what? James Conlon is pissed off at me. And yeah. I'm singing with Placido. <laughs> it's like there are, it could be worse. It could be much worse. It could be the lady at Burger King that's pissed <laughs> off at me. <laughs> you want to be in that position, you know? Yeah. It's it, I'm doing just fine. Yeah, yeah. And it's and I'm you know, I'm fortunate enough to to be working with a company right now who values who I am and values what I bring to the table. Mm -hmm. That's rare. Yeah. I, I, I have said to them, by the way, if anybody's listening and needs an events company to produce your next event. A2E Sherman Oaks. <laughs> I will give you their phone number. Find me on Facebook. Anyways, uh, um, it, you know, they care about the whole team. Yeah. And that's that's a rare thing to find in a lot of companies is that every single person matters. Sure. Everybody brings something to the table. And that team, you know, is going to get that job done. Mm -hmm. And it's respect. It's confidence. It's trust. It's a lot of things. It's all the best things in life, right? Exactly. That we all look for. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's it's great working with these people and being a part of them and, you know, who knows what's next. And that's the most important thing. And, you know, I'll do it as long as I can. Right. Yeah. All right, Claire. Anything else? We cover everything? We covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of ground. Is there anything else you want to know? <laughs> I'm kind of an open book at this You're point, very, yeah. you know? Yeah. I I, I'm really glad that you came. Thank you. It's really it's, nice having you on the show. Well, thanks for asking me. I to haven't do had it. a chance to really sit down and chat with you. Yeah. I've known you for a long time. And and you know, I love getting myself out there more these days yeah. because, I, and I say to all freelancers, you know, this job being a freelancer is yeah. actually PR. Cause yeah, that's right. You've got to market yourself, and you have to put yourself out there. And yeah. I, I, I'm happy to chat with anybody who wants to chat about the next step in life because nice. that's. That's what I'm all about. So. All right. Thanks, Claire. Thank you. Well, I thought that was a nice chat. It was great to see Claire again. I want to thank her for coming all the way over to uh, my little studio here. I really admire how um, driven she is and bright, and uh, she's she's very sharp and actually uh, a really sweet person. And I say actually because I think we all know people who are really driven uh, which is great, but sometimes those people aren't the nicest folks around. So I, I admire that about Claire. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed the interview. I really thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you all have a great week. And until next time. Probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius. Get onto my show.